What time did you go to bed after the double episode uh, uh, debut uh, premiere of Double Feature last week? Ooh, probably 2.45, maybe. What? Are you a raver? <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I've taken those Jolly Rancher, <laughs> what's what's the Jolly Rancher pills at the rave, you know? Yep. <laughs> what time do you normally go to bed? Oh, uh, it depends. I think I probably end up going to bed between 11 and midnight most nights, but then to be completely honest, I slip past midnight quite often, unfortunately. How about you? Um, I'm usually in bed at like 9. I'm usually, like, nine. I can be in bed as early as 8.30 sometimes. Which sounds crazy, but then I like pull my iPad out and then I like watch something and then I fall asleep and then I wake up at two in the morning and then I'm up for like another hour <laughs> and then I fall back well, asleep. That's, well, you have a baby, so that probably impacts. Were you I doing mean, that before the baby? That's the question. Uh, it's a little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah. And then like when you have the baby early on, um, like you're up every like two hours or so is like everyone's like oh it sucks it's crazy it's weird yeah it kind of sucks but your lifestyle changes a little bit so then when it when now like the last couple months she just sleeps magically knock on wood but um i go to bed she's not waking up so i go to bed and i just like sleep but then i wake up i may have mentioned this before but when you're younger and you wake up you're like oh my gosh i hope it's like super early still i hope it's like 11 p.m or like midnight and i still have like six more hours or seven more hours of sleep when you're an adult and you have insomnia you wake up in the middle of the night you're like oh please be like 6 30 in the morning please like let me have slept the entire time and then you wake up and it's like 11 30 and you're like damn it i still have to try to like get good sleep till the next that's just me though maybe when you stay, when you are just like lying awake at night, do you hear like bumps in the night and think the house being creaky and things that freak you out? Only if I've woken up with a nightmare, which I did last night. Um, I, I definitely have that, like that fear of Samara from the ring, like standing in the corner of my room with like her hair just like drooped over her face, like sitting in the corner staring at me. I, that's one of the fears I still have as an adult. Do you have mm, any like that's a pretty creepy one? Do you ever like wake up in the middle of the night and have like a fear of like something? I just can't be in silent places. Um, there has to be some kind of white noise. Like I, if I, I love like living in a city with sirens and like things going outside. Like that's comforting to me. If I am what well, like I think last year during the pandemic we like went and stayed on this island that had like no electricity or anything like that, and it was like kind of like you were in a cabin, but it was kind of like camping. And woke up in the middle of the night, and there was so much silence that I like. You focus on every little noise outside. It's kind of terrifying. So I, yeah, I, I'm like you. I, I need I need some white noise. We have a fan always going in the room. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. Oof. The the other night, um, I woke up because we have a ring, um, like doorbell type thing, a camera, and it was going off, but I couldn't see anything. So I like I got up and like like I I, I keep a baseball bat under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's my weapon in my house. Don't break into my house because that's all you're going to have to deal with. <laughs> but um, uh, usually it's like a deer. and But then I saw like our backyard um, floodlights go off. And I was like, oh, my God, something's out there. And I'm, I'm kind of freaking out. So I go out. I look out. And I see, her, I see like we have a fire pit in the backyard. And I see like a deer butt. I'm like, oh, it might be the deer. So I, I walk out there. But then it's not there again. 
and then I go to the front and it's not and the lights going off in the front and I'm just losing my shit. It was it was very scary. It's a it's a ghost deer. It was a ghost deer. It was a um a, what do they call them in um Harry Potter? Uh, a Patronus. It was a Patronus. Oh, well, that's not as scary if you go. Yeah. It's a Patronus. That's what I told myself, and then I fell back asleep much more easily. <laughs> <laughs> Better than a ghost deer. Yeah. Uh, anyway, should we start this episode? Let's do it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the F-Exit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Houston. What's up, everyone? Uh, I mean, this isn't episode two. It's episode three, actually. Uh, but, dude, so excited. I, I'm so excited. Uh, Tyler, I know. You... Week two, episode three. What's yeah. it like? A little bit of thirst? You feeling thirsty after this episode? A little thirsty. A little thirsty. <laughs> so much to talk about, more really excited to dive into it. Uh, before we do, as always, we really appreciate it when folks send in their uh, theories and questions and thoughts and things uh, to our email at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or participate in the conversation on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. And oh wow, did we get a uh, flurry of communications after last week. Everybody was super psyched that American Horror Story is back. It seems to be the consensus. I didn't hear a single bad review, I don't think, from anybody on email or Facebook or anywhere. People did love it. And all sorts of fun thoughts that I wanted to kind of spin through real quickly with you um, that everyone was sharing. uh, Because there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, First of all, I did want to say we did have uh, Michaela weigh in last week. And, you know, she had noticed that you in particular scoffed at the concept of a Rhode Island mob. And so I wanted to start out with that before talking about the actual horror aspects because Michaela wrote that the Italian and American mafia is still somewhat active, especially in Providence, Rhode Island, and often gets involved in dealings in eastern Massachusetts, including Boston and the Cape. Uh, They briefly war with Jack Nicholson and Matt Damon's crime family in the film The Departed, Mm. and they're also known for ripping out throats, similar to the way the creatures do Mm. in uh, Double Feature. So, you know, it's a common way, I guess, for the mob to, to punish snitches in their family. So, you know, there's a real Rhode Island mob situation yeah. going on. So Thanks, Michaela. You should Definitely. be aware. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, a couple other things spinning around. There are lots of theories about whether or not Doris will take the pills. You know, some speculate she will and will become a pale creature. Others think she will take them and not become a pale creature, but her baby will become a pale creature. Uh, <gasps> oh. I think there's another... I think there was another one, maybe, where someone suspects that she takes them and doesn't become a pale creature, but the baby becomes a pale creature. And then finally, there's the theory that she holds off and is the only one that survives because she doesn't take the pills. So, all sorts of stuff. Oh, and there's another one, a theory about her eating the baby um, if she becomes a pale creature. Jesus. So, Um, we know the the big question mark is what's going to happen with Doris. So, my thoughts initially on that are, it seems, for American Horror Story... You know, if you're writing a story like this, you want one like kind of character that doesn't take the pill, and there's kind of the the hero the heroine that you're rooting for, um, kind of like your last final girl. Um, but um, it's American Horror Story, so I feel like everybody's gonna take the pill. <laughs> 
I think that's I like I mean, a baby's going to take think, the pill. It's going to be a suppository pill or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> there is an interesting thing about her like concept of her taking it while pregnant. So I, you have to imagine they're going to experiment with that. Yep. Um, we also have lots of people appreciating just the timeliness. And I don't know whether to call it tact or subtlety with which um, the season is tackling kind of the opioid crisis and the privileged uh, taking advantage of the underprivileged. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's... Fi- it's, it's even fitting today because to just today, Purdue Pharma, which is the company that makes OxyContin, was dissolved mm-hmm. um, when a settlement was forced on its owners to pay billions of dollars. So, you know, this is still a very, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very relevant, very timely um, issue we're dealing with. So it, it feels very resonant, um, certainly. There's also some mixed feelings in the pale creatures. You know, some people feel they are kind of corny, especially the way they kind of hang out in groups in the street and just stare at you. Uh, others think they are super creepy. They've been compared to the gentleman from Buffy to Nosferatu, just to name a couple of references there. Uh, which side do you fall on? Are you on the corny side or are you on the scary side? Uh, uh, I'm on the corny side for sure. Um, I mean, I called them the like backup dancers for Missy Elliott music videos with the or Busta Rhymes videos with like they like pop and lock like the way the the, the camera shoots them, you know. So it's, <laughs> it's almost like it's a dance video. Well, I'm on the creepy side because I think anything that moves in a weird and creepy way freaks me out. So, like, when it's all choppy and they move like that, it totally freaks me out. Yeah. I think we're all right. (laughs) Uh, There's also lots of skepticism around the townspeople not knowing the pale creatures are there. I'm with those those people, yeah. Yeah. Consensus seems to be that people know and they are just, like, tacitly accepting it for some reason. You know, the example is the grocer who talks to Harry and recognizes that he's buying a bunch of red meat in episode two uh you know tobias via email uh emailed us and and compared it to the fish people and the hp lovecraft story shadow over innsmouth funny enough rob also referenced this lovecraft story via facebook are you familiar with it i am not please inform me uh yeah well basically it just it takes place in new england and it's kind of this um spoken word it sounds like story of this person who doesn't investigate like is like doing some kind of investigation in like the early like 1930s like prohibition era in uh around cape cod what is and it basically stumbles shadow over in's mouth okay i'm gonna definitely and watch it, it now but okay keep going Sorry. yeah yeah uh and basically it's a um story about you know this kind of dilapidated fishing town where they end up surf un, like surfacing this thing that like these people at some point like it breeded with like these weird fish kind of people um and there's like this all everyone in town kind of knows this and it's just kind of kept under wraps or something so anyway it sounds interesting um sounds like there's a lot of relevant type stuff to some of the themes we're seeing in uh double feature well in red tide I guess specifically. Right. So we'll be curious if others have read this story and have seen this connection as well. A couple of other things that are fun to point out. Joe via email shared that the Dick Doc is a real thing in Provincetown. So that's not made up by the show. The Dick, a real Dick Doc. <laughs> yeah. So that's a neat reference. Also, Emma via Facebook shared that the Muse is a real bar in Provincetown, but it's called what? the Muse spelled M-E-W-S. So we oh, thought that cats. was kind of cheesy last time too. Yes, I guess so. Um, but apparently it's a real place and apparently oh, wow. it sounds like Emma has been there. She shared a couple photos and Hell she said yeah. she talked to the owner. She talked to the owner there who said that Ryan Murphy has a place in Provincetown and frequents the Muse often. So oh, that is truly that's inspired. so cool. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Emma, thank you. And last thing, yeah, thank you for sure. And last thing I wanted to point out is that Freya, 
via Facebook reached out to let us know that those in the sex industry, like the Mickey character portrayed mm-hmm. by Malik, Macaulay Culkin, prefer to be called sex workers and not prostitutes. I think that I called them prostitutes in the last oh, yeah. two episodes. Didn't realize that that was the nuance in the language. So I really appreciate kind of calling us out on that, or at least calling me out on that. No harm intended. And we will be calling them sex workers from now on out. So absolutely. Thank you very much for that. And justice for sex workers. Indeed. Indeed. Okay, so before we get into the actual details of episode three, Thirst, I have to ask, what are you drinking this evening? Pretty fitting segue. I'm drinking the leftover wine from uh, my wife's uh, event she was at. She brought a whole case of Missouri wine home. So I'm drinking uh, Le Bourgeois Soleil, which is a semi-sweet white wine. <laughs> but Ooh, before that, semi-sweet. before she came home, I was drinking uh, just some red wine. I today I want to mention today was the it's September first. It is the first day it hasn't been scaldering hot out in Missouri, so it feels like September. It was only eighty something early, uh, low eighties, so it felt it felt like uh, a nice fall day, a warm fall day. And I'm super excited. I need to buy my cider asap. <laughs> I know I'm just a few clicks away from my bourbon and cider as well. Yeah. So Tyler, what are you drinking? I am drinking some very gourmet boxed red wine, red wine mm. uh, Cabernet from Trader Joe's. So who knows? It could have been made in Missouri as well, for all I know. So mm, probably cheers. not. But okay, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Chris, can you take us through the cold open of Thirst? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, I feel like this is kind of a long cold open as well. We've we've had a few of these. Um, we open with Doris. Uh, cleaning, uh, washing Alna after she ate the dead rabbit. Uh, of course, she's worried about Lyme disease. Uh, Chief Burleson shows up and she is checking out these calls about Alma. People calling in saying she was covered in blood and they saw her. And she's worried because she's investigating the murders that have been happening around the town. She wants to interview Alma without her parents, which is 100% illegal. You can't do that. Um, anyway, while, while this is all going down, it's happening on the staircase, and Doris, is, Doris obviously very pregnant, keels over and kind of tumbles down the stairs right into Chief Burleson. Um, and we cut right to the hospital, and the doctor says, the baby's fine. It was false contractions brought on by stress, which is a thing. Um, but her heart rate and her blood pressure are so elevated, so they want to keep her there for four or five days, which to me seems like a very long time. Um, but I don't know. You know, I it's not like I haven't had a baby. I haven't had a baby, or you're I don't know. You are in the mix of having that. So anyway, um, they're talking about what's what they're gonna do and. Uh, Harry sends Alma with a cliche version of like, here's your dolly, go to the vetting machine because we're going to have some tall talk right now. And we find out, well, first of all, Alma stops immediately at the cart full of uh, blood packets. Um, uh, or the, the cart full of blood. She's staring at them. We, all, we hear that Doris has had two miscarriages before and one at five months, which is like, heartbreaking to hear that that's just so tragic that is um, yeah and and then and then then we hear 
we have the conversation between Harry and Doris, and Harry says for probably the fifth time, all right, we're leaving. I'm taking Alma to New York. And she's like, okay, cool. That sounds great. Um, Harry then is in the car with Alma, and they're not going to New York. They're going the opposite direction. And he says, you took the pill. And she says, yes, I did. And now I can play Paganini really easily. <laughs> uh, she says that she, she says this really like uh, uh, kind of important statement that embodies a lot of what this whole series is about, which is she thinks in the world there are people that are really good at something and then there's everybody else. And everybody else could just disappear one day and it wouldn't really matter. Harry agrees. Uh, and then he hammers home the metaphor of the pill that we've like definitely got at this point, which is that you become a pale person if you're not talented. Um, he, he wants her to stop taking the pill, of course, like any parent probably would want because she's... Again, we're going to hit this multiple times through this episode. She's nine years old. Uh, and he believes that... He, it's kind of sweet. He believes that she's actually super talented, that she could get to that level. She did not need the pill at nine years old. She's very talented. She could just work her way up and, like, train, and she could be that good. Um, but she says, okay, I'll stop taking them if you do. And then, then we get the, 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 the expression on his face that is like, will he? And that's the, <laughs> end, that, that's the end of the cold open. I mean, I have to believe neither one of us thought that was going to last very long at all. Maybe half an episode, it hardly lasts a second, but we'll get into that in just a minute here. Uh, yeah, another kind of great cold open I thought here. Um, a couple things I wanted to point out is just how great... Adina Porter was in this cold open. Like, I think she was the MVP of this episode. She kind of really had a little bit of a chance to, you know, flex those awesome acting muscles here. So I really appreciated that. She's uh, there was also a moment. Mm -hmm, there was a moment when Doris collapses due to her stress contraction in the stairs that Alma has like a, a weird reaction they highlight at the top of the stairs. I was wondering if you noticed that and what you thought it meant. I don't remember exactly what her expression was. Like, because... It, it, She's very, um, she's very suspicious, obviously, and the whole premise of her trying to bring in a child is just like that's she's not. This isn't her first. I mean, it is her first winter working at Provincetown. We know this, and a lot of suspicious things have happened, but the way she reacts to Doris doing that is almost like. It's it's suspicious. I think she's she's suspicious of this entire family. What 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 was your interpretation? Well, I was actually real, thinking about Alma. There's like a weird expression on on Alma's face at the top of the stairs. Oh, and you know, I was wondering if this was later on is that like her despising her mother for being so weak. That's uh, a possibility, or no. is it like maybe you know because she was having stress contraction, maybe like her blood blood was really pumping and stuff, and Alma could sense like the blood flowing through. Her okay, body. so that's kind of what I was thinking. No, I know what you're thinking. Um, and she does this also in the hospital. She has this kind of like... Also, this actress, I can't remember her name right now. She's doing a phenomenal job. Um, it's like this like twitching, like kind of like... I'm like... She's like itching to do something. Like she's eager like for something. And I agree. I saw that. And I was like, oh, is she, you know, bleeding? 
you know, and yeah. that, and is that like uh, uh, instigating this thirst that she might have? Um, I, right. I, that's what you meant. Yeah. And so I totally, I, I saw it too. And then I see the same expression that she does in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think we also mentioned that this episode was written by Brad Falchuk. I think the first two were written by Ryan Murphy and Brad and Falchuk. So yep. he just took this one on alone. Yep. And then our director was Loni Peristeer, who's Lonnie. Oh, American Horror yep. Stories. Lon- Sorry, I always say Loni. Loni. Um, you know, uh, American Horror Story alum in terms of directing. And she did the uh, last but- one. Uh, or I think it was she. Shoot, I can't remember. But uh, did the, the, the previous episode two. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but, you know, we quickly see that this whole pact that Harry and Alma make in the car lasts for like half a second before they're like, okay, we both need these pills. He stares at the blinker on the screen for uh, just a minute and he's like, you know, screw it, we're going to go for it. Um, so he takes her to the muse and they like, I think this is the whole beginning of like, I don't know that we really, he was a cra- kind of a crappy dad in the first two episodes, but I don't think we necessarily realized that whether that was like, uh, inherent thing for him or whether that was like a result of you know him being stressed about the deadline he was on then being introduced to the pills and stuff like that but he pretty much com- straight up confesses that like he's been a shitty dad and he works too much and he is absent and he blames it on his and own his, father his, his dad was shitty yeah of course so you know he has all the excuses in the book for it but now he's going to be there for uh, and help guide her through this ongoing taking of muse pills over time because the deal is, being a musician, he makes the point that like it's not he's not it's not a situation like as a writer where you can just churn out some work and then come back three months a year. If you're a musician, you got to be taking those pills all the time. So he's going to try to sustain this for her, you know, out in the real world, back in New York City and stuff like that. Which sounds like it's going to be pretty difficult. And I have a feeling right now that that's not how things are going to work. But mm-hmm. I don't know what you think. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, yeah, and then I mean, well, well I'm, I know you're leading into this, but um, she's nine years old, and she says they talk about Doris, and she says, "Why are we still with her?" Which yeah, is yeah, like oof, brutal. And she's like trying to be like, "Dad, you and I are in this together now." Like, we, like, why are we still with her? She's like not a good mom, whatever. And it's like, no, she's your mother. And not, and not just not a good mom, not talented. She's not talented, which is exactly what, um, Harry was like saying, or being jealous of, or not being jealous of, but just like talking trash to his daughter about, because he was the, he was the exceptional one. Now that they're both right. the exceptional people, she's like, yeah, our mom, they're, your wife, my mom, they're not, she's not good. Yeah. So obviously this is going to be – she's got to take the pills because Doris is going to have to take the pills because the big question is going to be, is she really talented or is she not, right? So that's Oof, the, that's going to yeah. – that's that's the thing we're going to – they're going to keep us on our toes to find out. Um, of course, Harry makes Alma promise that she will never seek her own blood. He will go get it for her, which takes us on uh, this, I love this whole little bizarro adventure where he decides he's going to take a page out of Austin and Bell's book and go find someone on Craigslist. Craigslist a bike chain and a Blu-ray player, <laughs> go ch- like go chase him down. I and, love uh, this sequence, by the way. Yeah, it includes Blake Shields, who played a character in American Horror Stories uh, in, in the episode Feral. Um, oh, that's who which, he was. Yeah, 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 the tour guide guy. Um, and you know, Harry gets you know kind of thinks he's the one kind of on the prowl, and surprisingly, like gets knocked out cold by this girl who draws him in and um you know it kind of catches him off guard by 
offering him a blowjob, I guess, basically. Yeah. And he's like, man, oh, she's trying I, to seduce him, and then he gets knocked out. He gets clocked. Um, turns out they're scammers too. Yeah. Not only are That's they scammers, nice they make they make snuff films without the snuff, which is uh, pretty, they describe a pretty nasty sex process to him, um, and give him a, a Viagra pill. And the plan is to kill him and, and stream it out to the world i guess this this scene had a little bit of shades of like roanoke to me a little bit of freak show shades um it felt like i mean we have a snuff film in freak show so there was some kind of vibes of, of past seasons in here did you read the rules when he got captured and put in his prison type thing i thought one of them said like keep your space clean or something like that did you read all of them i i i tried to pause this is the problem about watching these like on um dvr like i can't have the uh subtitles and i can't pause it like in a much clearer way that we could if we're watching it on like the amc streamer or whatever it might be but the rules were the ones that i saw were number one was always be ready for your master at all times number two was never say no to your master (laughs) number three was like no complaints and number four i couldn't really make out too well but it was like any breaking of the rules, da 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 da, something like that. So, like he's imprisoned essentially, and we know that. Well, you can explain what's going to happen. Well, he's they, they want to film him getting raped by the guy, the husband or the boyfriend or whatever, with a ten-inch dong, uh, and then they also gave him the Viagra so he can uh, have sex with the girl uh the the girlfriend or whatever and then they're gonna kill him <laughs> and, and what they call like, a daisy a daisy chain <laughs> a daisy chain which i've never heard that expression before and and he's like that's not what that is i'm like all right whatever. someone go urban dictionary we can check it yeah but they want to sell know, it they make making money off this correct i want to say i also don't think it's just a coincidence that we get a, a uh, quentin tarantino reference later because this scene definitely has some pulp fiction vibes to it if you know totally. what i mean um, uh, also, but, I want I want to mention like I, I love this whole sequence because it's like the twist on like the invaders or the burglars like showing up and oh guess what you broke into the wrong house so I'm getting a lot of uh, uh, don't breathe if you've ever seen that movie which is fantastic uh, last house on the left which is sort of like that it's like a like a situation where the, the rapists break into the house of the daughter who the parents of the daughter who they raped and murdered. Uh, so it's like, this is a great like reference on horror films. Yeah. Yeah. Great concept. And then of course, just in time, Harry pulls out his veneers and is able to, luckily they didn't put him in metal handcuffs. <laughs> they just had him in some yeah, bound ropes, some yeah. bound rope, whatever. So he could, uh, rip those off and rip out the, some throats and also shoot the, um, Blake Shields character, who I do, do we we get his name, don't we? I, Tony. I, I don't remember what Tony. Tony with the ten, uh, ten inch dong. Um, but yeah, he he takes care of him real quickly, and then you know soon enough he's all clean cut back at the house after like a really gruesome scene where he's on like in his underwear. But he and, uh, so he's, I thought in this whole scene that like the daughter was almost gonna like break in and like save him or whatever, but like he handles it, and he this is the first time we see the. Uh, um a thermos used to collect some blood so he does that for his daughter and i thought that was sweet 
Yeah, very sweet. He's he's finally being a good dad. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Of course, almost immediately after this, Harry's agent Ursula shows up to say that Quentin Tarantino wants him to write a limited series for Hulu and has, uh, before it's even been conceived, has has greenlit it. And uh, I believe the quote is, the motherfucker is better a better writer than I am. Then seems to insinuate that he himself, Quentin Tarantino, also takes the muse pills. Because there's something like, I just got married, so I can't do my normal process for writing. Oh, ooh. I, li- I did not pick that up. I like that. I like that. That was that's my interpretation, at least. Oh, yeah, that was my interpretation, at least. I'm, I'm with you on that. that that's cool. I, I do also like the dig at Hulu. Uh, picking up Sight Unseen, which is funny because uh, American Horror Stories is on Hulu. Well, and American Horror Stories goes on FX on Hulu the day after, like right the day after too. So yeah, that's kind of it's funny. It is funny because in American Horror Stories, there's a little bit of dig at Netflix after they yeah he he shows them putting the um, the move the drive-in movie starts streaming and everybody kind of the world goes mad. Right, so a little Murphy bit of and Brad Falchuk are just like messing poking with the bear all on the both streamers. those. Yeah, <laughs> the ones, yeah, the ones they use. So we have Ursula in town, and she kind of starts to make a splash immediately. Uh, at the restaurant, we have a another fantastic duet by Austin and Bell, uh, singing mm-hmm. "Too Much Too Little" by Johnny Mathis and Denise Williams, only mm-hmm. to be interrupted by a very crabby Ursula who even knows who they are. Do you think she might be a little bit more respectful? Because yeah. who knows? Maybe yeah. she, they would sign on with her, but she's kind of a real dick. Yeah, uh, like mm-hmm. I think they're they're trying to just establish that she's an asshole. Right, exactly. And then we also see her blow off Mickey when he comes over to just be nice. Poor Mickey, you know. Um, he just wants he her to see the script. Yeah, exactly. So he, you know, he's persistent. Chases her back down on the beach, and you know, finally gets her to read the script, and she reluctantly agrees. The thing is, as she dives into the script, she meets him the next day and, like, is immediately, like, understands something's up because she just doesn't possibly believe that a guy who could be, you know, a sex worker and a drug addict could possibly uh, put something together like this. So something is wrong with this town because, obviously, you know, she knows what Austin and Bell are doing. She knows Harry's all of a sudden Mark Twain, she calls him. So something's not ask, quite wait, whoa, 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 dude, We can't skip over Mark Twain. So, Tyler, Mark Twain is pretty important to you. It is pretty important. I mean, I do have a Mark Twain tattoo on my body. He's a, you know, one of my favorite writers of all time. So I don't know if that was, you know, I think that was a compliment. He's a, oh, he's a great sure American was. writer. She also says, I, I love this part too. She says like, they're like, she says her his scripts are worth like $3 million or whatever. Um, but strung out people don't write scripts like that, except for like Hunter S. Thompson and Charles Bukowski. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I will also point out that this is not our first Mark Twain reference this season because I believe, uh, was it early on that they were listing? Oh, no. Sorry. There was a Mark Twain reference in the last episode of American Horror Stories where we, they were talking about a haunted haunted house that Mark Twain's spirit still lives in. So I that's right. that was a different episode. Yeah, that's right. But Mark Twain is on Ryan Murphy and Brad Felchuk's mind, we know for sure, at least yes. lately. Maybe they're trying to embody. Also, they know the season. womanizing dudes of like Hunter S. Thompson and Charles Bukowski, which you know kind of surprises me that they make it into this show. Yeah, I, I mean, hard to say whether or not that those are that's it was a complimentary reference, but you know, yeah, it definitely probably wasn't. But 
but I'm sure, like, I, you know, if you've, if you've read American literature to an extent, you've read something from Thompson or Bukowski. Iconic, whether or not uh, you know, How you feel about them. they were good people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, point is that Ursula wants access to the pills so that she can build a boutique agency that is run by the she's best writers in the world. Businesswoman. Oh yeah, she's she's uh, she's putting on her power tie. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Belle leaves the house, presumably to feed, Mickey sneaks in to steal some pills. Mm. Uh, you know, so Mickey goes to the Dick Talk hunting for blood uh, after this and really has kind of a clumsy interaction with, with the guy who's down there. And again, it's kind of sad. His dealer. I think it's his dealer. Yeah, but it's clear they're also like kind of friends. So I think Mickey yeah. doesn't really want to be doing it. They kind of tumble in the road for a bit. Um, and it just doesn't go all that well. And so he finally slaughters him, but uh, like people, there's enough time for people to see. We know that Holden Vaughn happened to catch it in a few minutes here, uh-huh. but you know, uh, it, it basically it's, he, he's not the most savvy killer. Um, no. And it's funny to, that we have this sequence with an addict who normally is addicted to meth and he's now addicted to a different pill and he's killing his, his i mean it's like killing your your the hand that feeds you for what your your former vice was to feed your next vice mm-hmm. absolutely and you know mickey kind of proceeds to get in this like crappy space between ursula and basically ursula and bell basically where bell you know comes in and insults insults him and like you know it's interesting because i feel like with mickey's character you know he has proven himself to be talented and he's producing these scripts but even then he continues he it hasn't earned him a place in high society in the eyes of bell and austin right. she continues to shit i think she calls him a paper plane while she's a 747 or something like that and she's yeah. like doesn't and matter how many pills you four seven i was like you mean 747 <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah yeah, she she's like, no matter how many pills you take, you're never going to be at my level. Um, I guess because you're not cultured, you know. And this is reminiscent of the same kind of privileged, underprivileged classes. conversations we're having in society. Yeah, classism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's there's some good subtlety here too. And so, but she says, you know, I need you to go kill Ursula, basically, if you're going to continue to take my pills. And so he goes back to Ursula's hotel. His heart's not really in it. He's carrying a, a crowbar, which to me was kind of a Home Alone reference in my mind. Oh, um, I didn't notice that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and of course, Ursula's taking a bath and like doesn't bat an eye when he walks in on her in the, sh- in, in the bathroom. Uh, and it's like, oh, you're going to kill me? You don't really want to do that. I'm going to have you rewrite Speed Racer. And of course, that happens to be something that really touches He's a special a place in his heart. He's a big fan. And instead, she just wants to be introduced to the chemist. So we know that Mickey's going to go take her to the chemist. Meanwhile, you know, Harry continues to have his own problems with Alma's feeding issues because he decides he's going to go on another little feeding frenzy with Belle and Austin and decides he's going to fill a thermos again to take back. And Austin and Belle are immediately suspicious and stop him in that car with a gun and they're like who's that thermos for and they're very worried about 
Harry blowing this whole thing they've had going on for years and years, which it really seems like that's headed that way because he's he's got Alma involved. He's brought Ursula to town. He's kind of uh, at a point where he might be ruining this big thing. I mean, I will remind you that it was Austin's fault in the first place for insisting on offering the pill, like really trying to push the pills on Harry. So they kind of brought this upon themselves, but they've realized that... Harry kind of needs to go, you know, as though everybody else he brought to town with him. If they're going to preserve this way of life, you know. We should take one minute to talk about Holden Bond, interior designer, played by Dennis O'Hare, only in this episode for three minutes. Not so really excited to see him. Yeah, I already love this character. Not really clear the role he's going to play going forward. Uh, he gave quite the little monologue to Chief Burleson about feeling the colors. That's why he was on the beach. He's, he's an interior designer and he feels the colors. You have to believe that there's some kind of connection with him being an interior designer and Doris being an aspirational interior designer, right? Absolutely. So yep. there's probably something going to come in there. Um, also, it's worth pointing... At first, I was like, oh, is he on the Muse pills? But I think it's worth pointing out that he says he normally comes during the summer. He's only there, just got there in the offseason because his treasured greyhound passed away, I believe. Right. And so I think we're supposed to think that Holden Vaughn might be one of the few people who's talented without the pills, which could be an interesting other level to the dynamic. I think you're right. Um, he makes a like, like sort of funny reference uh, when he says he loves the winter, except because uh, this is the first time he's there, the first... Uh, he likes it because it's 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 beautiful the colors he's absorbing them it's wonderful the only thing he doesn't like is the aids era couture which is like oh god <laughs> brutal yeah oh god <laughs> I, and it seems, he seems i don't know if he's referencing you know the drug addicts or if he's referencing the pale people maybe i feel he, like he's talking about how everyone looks like they are in the provincetown version of rent that's true. You, you, there is that. That's actually a very accurate description of the the wardrobe we have uh, <laughs> in this series to a certain extent. It's very bohemian. So I think you're you're right about that. Uh, then we get to meet, of course, the chemist. We're getting introduced a little bit to like a character each episode. You know, we got Lark last episode. We get Howard this episode. We get the chemist this episode, um, played by Angelica Ross and. Yeah, and so you know, excited to see her too. Oh my gosh. It was it was it was great. We kind of get this back and forth between this Ursula, yeah. Yes. This is how the flashbacks should happen in American Horror Story. We have the present time that's happening which is where uh we have uh Bell Ursula, and Austin. Or, mm-hmm. No, well Ursula talking Ursula with Mickey talking to the chemist. And then we have like a question posed, and then we have the answer flash forward to uh, Belle and Austin talking with the chemist, and then we go back and forth, back and forth with like Q and A, Q and A. It was that was just really well done. Uh, that's how it should be done. I loved it. It was well done. It made us get through it a lot faster. Yes, and. You know, it ends with action. Basically, the chemist sentences everybody, Harry and everybody else to death, you know, yeah. which yeah. is already where kind of Belle and Austin were headed. But I think now she's like, I think, that, you know, Belle is trying to push it off on Mickey. And instead, the chemist is like, no, you guys are going to have to do this. If you want your pills, you have to do it. So they're like, well, shit, now we got to get involved. Yeah, um, cut off all the loose ends. 
Yeah, I think the chemist is an interesting character. There's clearly some mystery happening there. Like, mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I'm curious to dig into further. How did she come upon this recipe? I think that's something we're going to unravel over the next few episodes. Well, and she says, what like, it, they can figure out the recipe if they, like, backwork it, but they don't know how they cook it. So, oh, yeah, she's we got some Walter White shit going on here. I, that's what I was it's thinking, that too. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of fun. And I think it'll be interesting to hear more about her background. Um, You know, and then finally, we have this little vignette in which Ursula agrees to watch Alma for a few hours while Harry finally goes to see Doris, who's been in the hospital for who knows how many days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ursula, in true character, immediately goes to take a nap. (laughs) I love it. I love well, it. Well, well, Alma clearly contemplates killing her because this thirst is just ravenous. Alma's thirst, I mean, maybe it's because she's a child and just doesn't have the willpower that an adult has, but her thirst seems to be a lot more ravenous than any of the other characters we've seen so far. She's just always hungry. Yeah. And, you know, thinks about killing Ursula until Chief Burleson arrives again to try to question Alma, you know, outside of the technical bounds of the law. Um, I will say that there's an awesome zoom out angle here when uh, Chief Burleson like walks into the house and like it slowly backs out to the coffee table where we're going to see her die in a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was a really excellent shot here. I agree. And yeah. And we kind of have Chief Burleson. She's not losing it necessarily, but she's kind of like, you know, I, I think if we're getting in her mind, she was like, I came out here to relax and all these people are dying and I'm not entirely sure what's happening, but there's some weird shit and it's connected to you guys here in this family. Um, and, you know, she's kind of also a voice for the downtrodden that she's like, you know, yeah, these people might not be talented. They may be not, you know, big names that are going to get publicized in the newspapers when they die, but they were real people who had families who cared about them. So we're continuing to get this kind of message voice to us so i think in a in like a pretty tactful way that is not really beating us over the head with it like we've we've seen in the past but alas chief burleson is not long for this world because alma uh-huh. has this great scene in which she you know starts to ask the chief what she would have done to pursue this dream of being the first female ranger i think in the army yep, yep. and then alma slaughters her in front of the fireplace and then we get the great scene to end it all when Harry shows back up at home and Chief Burleson's just chilling there <laughs> and Ursula and, and Alma are at the table playing gin rummy, like not even caring that the body's there. So Ursula also ruthless as we can see. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, poor, poor end to Chief Burleson. I do not think she will be coming back, which is... You well, know, I hope not because I hope I hope I, something in American Horror Story at this point. We have no... We have no indication that there's ghosts or anything, and it would kind of be a weird thing to revive. So, unfortunately, that might be the end of Adina Porter, at least in Red Tide. But I'm okay with that. You know, she did a great job. I thought that that was excellent. She was awesome in the beginning. I thought she had a great scene here at the end, and I thought her and Alma interacting together was excellent. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, one of my concerns about killing her character off so early is that. You know, if that happens, then the FBI gets involved. And I just hate when when small town things happen and then they escalate to such a giant, like a, a, a enormous, like conspiracy theory type of situation. And I hope like that in, like happen. in straight like in Stranger Things. Yeah, like in Stranger Things, where it turns out oh, the the entire government's involved. Well, actually, Russia's involved too. 
I want it to be a small town story, and when you kill off your chief, your chief, but the the primary investigator, and we we have not met a deputy yet that would take it over, that would be that person. And if they introduce a new new person who's going to be a deputy, it'll be fine. But it'd be nice if we met that person earlier on. Generally, if the chief of police dies, then FBI will get involved. So and the feds I come just, in. absolutely. And mm-hmm. then then it becomes a completely like different story. So I'm really worried about that. Um, that being said, Adina Porter killed it, and I loved it, and she's amazing. And I like the whole the whole that whole sequence of um, Ursula babysitting, and then we see Chekhov's knife in in Alma's view, and we're like, oh, is she going to kill Alma? Or sorry, is Alma going to kill Ursula? Ursula? Um, and then Chief Burleson shows up, and and then there there we have Chekhov's knife, and that's what happens. And the whole sequence is amazing. It's really good. I'm just a little worried about what happens later for the next seven episodes. But it was awesome. Totally. Yeah, I mean... I, I think this this season is continuing its hot start. I mean, what do you think? If you're summing it up, where are you at on Muse Pills? Uh, this might be my favorite episode of the season so far. I really liked it a lot. I really liked it a lot. Um, a few things of thought. I, um, I'm going to give my review. Um, the scene where Mickey kills his drug dealer um, and... He, they had the blood uh, draining down the sand into the ocean and the wave comes up and washes some of the blood away. Lonnie Pastiri, director, beautiful. That was amazing. What a, what a, what a fantastic shot. Um, on the flip side, a concern I have is, is all, all the people who are taking the pills, is their DNA not everywhere because they're literally like eating people? Like, wouldn't their DNA be everywhere? <laughs> so that's one thing that I'm like, hmm. Well, they're they're wearing gloves, but their mouths aren't. <laughs> <laughs> um, another funny thing I I I loved was when Ursula was in her bath and she um, uh, when Mickey co- comes in and uh, oh, I'm. I'm uh, I'm blanking on her name. Ursula, the actress. Ursula. Oh, Leslie Grossman. Leslie Grossman. Thank you. Goddamn. Uh, Leslie Grossman is just sitting there like, are you here to kill me and drink my blood or whatever? Awesome. Uh, you can and, and that, that, thank you for noticing that. Had, having a Toblerone like package like right next to her uh, bathtub. That was awesome. Love that. Love that little note. Um, I also love that there's stakes. There are stakes that are actually happening. People are dying and it actually matters. I'm hoping it sticks that way. This is one of the biggest problems we have. But the whole sequence at the end where Ursula's babysitting and you're like, oh, Ursula might die. Do I care? I don't know. I mean, kind of because I like Leslie Grossman, but like, and then, but also like Adina Porter. And like, so the whole stakes actually matter so far. And there's tension in almost all these scenes in this episode. When they go to the scammers, the Craigslist scammers, that was awesome. 
that was such a twist on what we expected. As soon as I went to a new scammer, uh, Craigslist scammer place, I was like, all right, I wrote in my notes. I was like, all right, what are we going to learn from this part of this episode? And it, it was something we did learn about other people scamming other people and also what uh, Harry's going to do to make sure his daughter gets her blood. Awesome. And all the new characters introduced. I love that we lose a character and then we introduce a character also. We lost... Um, Two characters. Who did we... Oh, yeah, that's true. Absolutely, you're right. We lost one character, and we're now introduced to two characters. We have Dennis O'Hare, uh, Holden. Howard. Howard. Or, uh, Holden. You're right, Holden Vaughn. Sorry. Holden. And then we also have the chemist, which I... Do we, I don't, I'm not sure if we know her name yet. Yeah. Just the chemist. Awesome. I love that because when we get too many characters, it gets too complicated. So I absolutely loved, loved, loved this episode. <laughs> um, I'm going to give this and also maybe we should start ranking the or doing our things as thermoses of blood. Oh, OK. Yeah. Did you do you have another idea? No, I like thermoses of blood. OK, I give this four point seven five thermoses of blood. It was a good episode. There was tension in every scene. Things were happening organically. Uh, the pace was great. Uh, I love the reference of the old names and like the. Oh, uh, one other thing um, that one of our listeners had mentioned is Alma has not been the first time Alma's been used. Alma was also Kit's wife in Asylum. That's right. The one who was abducted by aliens. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, indeed. Um, so I loved it. 4.75. That's big for me. That is big. That's big. What do you give it? I agree with you. You know, I think it was a terrific episode. I think that it hit all the right notes. The writing was really tight. I thought the, you know, the directing was excellent. Uh, the story continues at a, a fast pace where there's a lot happening, but in, it's not like frivolous stuff. It's all really engaging and it's really serving well kind of the underlying message we're talking about in a way that is nuanced and is not... Uh, you know, overly aggressive or, um, you know, it, to, to the point where it kind of takes the power out of out of the allegory, I guess, of what's happening. Uh, I think there's a lot of really compelling things that we're not sure entirely where they're going now. Chief Burleson's dead. What's going to happen there? To your point with like feds coming in or something like that. We know that the chemist wants everyone to die. So how is this going to be for Harry and Ursula and everybody else? You know, what's Mickey's fate going to be is a big question. And, of course, the really big question as to what Doris's fate is going to be. You know, we don't get a whole lot of Doris this episode, so that's going to be something that's uh And we had no Sarah too. Paulson either. And I, I think that's a good testament to a good episode when you don't, like, you want to see a character, but you don't miss that character, but you're excited to see them in the next episode. It's true. I think that um, Ursula's an interesting character that she carries so much power without kind of the same violent, you know, she, she just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> like a, she just kind of shows what uh, ambition and confidence will do for you in the world. So it's it's interesting. You have these people like Ursula, and you have the people like Holden now, who are successful people in their own right without having taken any use pills. So it's I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic too as we get more of them kind of you know paired against the people who are very desperately you know attached to these use pills. So it's it's a great it's a great story. 
I, you know, I think even the little vignettes, like you said, the one in the basement at the Craigslist scammer's house was also like a really wild and good ride with a lot of um, hints, you know, nods to other past horror, horror franchises and, and movies. So I think it hit all the right notes again. The season continues to hop. I'm, I'm going to say 4.5 just because, you know, I don't even know if I could say this is my favorite episode of the season. I think all three have been really good and this one's just another one up there. It's staying consistent. Yeah, I think we're like, and I, I try to frame it as like, I want to make sure I'm not too excited because it's been two years since we've seen a new episode, but they are coming out the gate with a really strong story. 100%. No, I, I think this is um, one of the tightest knit stories in terms of plot that we've seen maybe ever. Uh, certainly recently. But also, yeah. I come back to what I said last week, which which is just the continued sense of place and setting uh, that, you know, the color that they're giving Provincetown in terms of, like, making it a horror, you know, uh, uh, you know, giving giving the place its own character, basically, that I think does so much for the season and continues to, like, it's... It, I don't know. I, I think it's great, and it's something we... I don't know that we've really... I haven't really felt this probably since maybe Coven, when we had that real kind of sense of New Orleans. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's terrific. So, anyway, I think that's a pretty solid rating. I think we're both pretty excited and can't wait to see... I mean, we're halfway through Red Tide already, so... I know. Don't mess it up. I'm so worried. <laughs> it's so, so far good so, so good. far. <laughs> so far, so good. So... Knock on wood, fingers crossed that continues to be the case. Um, you know, again, we appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening. You can always reach out to us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or you can join our conversation on Facebook at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. Also, you can rate us and review us on whatever podcast platform you listen to. We appreciate it. We try to take your comments to heart and we just try to do our best and, and get this podcast out to more people who like watching the show and talking about it and theorizing about it. Chris, where can people find you between now and next week? At the Muse. Just nice. Kidding. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll really meet you there. I really want to go there. I really want to go there. It looks like every time I see the sequences in those in that bar, it seems really cool. I want to go. To the are, we, are we going to karaoke? We should. If we were going to karaoke, what song will we okay. karaoke? So let's do a live broadcast from there, and we will have to karaoke when we when we go there. Mm, only to start thinking of some duets. Well, they referenced um, Captain and Tennille, so we should probably do a Captain Tennille song, which was Love Will Keep Us Together. Excellent. Uh, Anyway, but in reality, for now, (laughs) (laughs) you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. Tyler, where can people find you? You can find me in those places as well at TJMoss11. Thank you all again for tuning in this week, and until next week, we wish you all happy hauntings. <laughs>